Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks so much for joining us here today and making us part of your day. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We have an exciting show on tap for you here today. Coming up in segment three, we're going to talk with North Dakota Republican Senator Kevin Kramer. We'll get some updates on the farm bill and also uh, foreign farmland purchases, some new legislation going through on that. We're going to talk about that with him coming up. We'll also talk to the chair of the United Soybean Board in segment two, Megan Kaiser, and we'll look at precision planting with Brad Arnold from Agco and Precision Planting later in the show. Kicking things off, though, coming up here just a couple of weeks away, the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois, August 29th through the 31st, to give us an update on how preparations for the show are going. Show manager Matt Youngman is with us. Matt, it's great to talk with you. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to be with you. Welcome aboard. It's good good to, good to talk to you. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, happy to uh, take over the mic here on AOA and uh, looking forward to another great Farm Progress show. You know, I've been attending now for quite some time, both in the uh, Decatur location and in Boone, and uh, looking forward to being back in Illinois here coming up in just a few weeks' time. I know you and I were chatting before we went on the air. Things are uh, looking good. Preparations well underway here at the show site in Decatur, Matt. That is exactly right. The, the, we have basically all of our big tents up, everything short of some of the gate tents. And then the, and then the last one is the, the big varied industries tent, that, that tent that takes over an acre. We, we, we haven't got that up yet because we just got the asphalt finished. The, the steamrollers just pulled off of that asphalt here this week. And so early next week, we'll have the, the t- that tent going in the air and uh, the, the field demo crop is coming together well. The, the landscaper, the electrician, uh, all the, the vendors are starting to set the foundations for the exhibitors at this time of year. Well, and you mentioned a few things there, and I know with the field demos, I know the last couple of years we've had we've had our issues with drought, weather, too much rain, et cetera. Um, over the course of the last couple of years, that's hampered some of those field demos. So it's it's looking good. Fingers crossed that we're going to have some exciting uh, demos going on here this year, Matt. Yeah, I don't think. Assuming we don't get some big weather event, uh, and you know, you you never you never know on something like that. But we're in as good a shape as we've been for a number of years. Uh, that that's that whole project of getting corn ready to harvest at the end of August is is always a a challenge. But this year, the the corn went in the ground in perfect conditions. It was all in the ground by April fourteenth, and we've had decent heat and just enough rain to get us by to where we can have a good crop out there. And so everything is in good shape. We're right now we're a little past half milk line. So we're on a good pace to get it, get it black layered by, uh, you know, the middle of August and then 10 days to dry it down, you know, six, seven, eight, ten 10 days to get it dried down. And, and then we'll be in there tuning up the machines. We take off about half of the crop ahead of the show to tune up the new machines and just leave us with the corn that we need to, to do the demonstrations. So we should mm-hmm. be in, in really fantastic shape. Well, what's exciting about all those demos, Matt? You think about the corn harvest, but also a lot of ride and drive opportunities, and then a lot of the uh, new autonomous technology that we're seeing more and more of here throughout agriculture. A lot of that is uh, always on display at the Farm Progress Show. 
It is. And you're exactly right. All that is all that area is in standing corn right now. So we'll pull that off ahead of the show and, and maybe run a light vertical till disc across it and, and then have a good, good uh, place to run. Not only the autonomous machines, which we've got more of those than ever. Raven's coming out with a new product and you've got Sabanto and, and Mojo and, and a couple of others. Uh, but you've also got the Rise, which is that that uh, you know flying ATV machine, mm-hmm. and then the, the AI machines, the smart sprayer technologies that are that are going to be running out there. So there's there's a whole variety of of these things that that kind of go in this this you know cool new tech area where all these things are going to be displayed and running. Well, Matt, I don't want uh, I don't want this to get lost here as well as we talk. But uh, 70th anniversary of the Farm Progress Show this year, what a what a feat, what a milestone that is, Matt. It, it is. You know, you think back to 1953 when the show started. Uh, that you know the the progress that was being shown was going from maybe a, a two bottom plow to a three bottom plow and the horsepower and everything else that was associated with that. And now, you know, 70 years later and, and you're still having this event and, and the technology is, is on screw touch screens and, um, you know, autonomous and AI and, and just, just a, a cool mark in time here that, that we've been doing this. And, and you know, the other, there's, there's lots of milestones on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the hundredth year of farm all the hundredth year of gleaner, uh, John Deere has a model that is, is celebrating a hundredth anniversary. And so, uh, lots and lots of things to celebrate, uh, here, you know, you're always looking forward in this business, whether it's, uh, you know, the ag technology or genetics or, or what it is you're looking forward with, but it's kind of cool to, to take a look back and, and, you know, what things looked like when we started doing this show. We are talking today with Matt Youngman. He is the show manager for the Farm Progress Show. Coming up here just a couple of weeks away, Decatur, Illinois, August 29th through the 31st. And Matt, I know with the Farm Progress Show each year, we have so many different attendees, international attendees. And thinking about all the work you guys put into the show sites each year, whether it's the tents, golf carts, camping, parking, traffic control, etc. It really feels like that uh, the show has become such a a well-oiled machine. Uh, Tip of the cap to you guys. You guys do such a great job. It's a whole lot of people that uh, that that hit the ground running, and so it's kind of a it's a really cool family reunions that that happen throughout this whole month. When you know when when the electrician rolls in, or the 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 gal that leads the parking and admission rolls in, and 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 you know even down to the the internal crew comes from all over the country to to put the thing together. But you know we've got so many great partnerships to make all of those things work. Whether you're talking about the uh, the international folks that are hosted by the, the Decatur Convention and Visitors Bureau, we we we're, we're probably on pace to set some kind of record in terms of the the international attendance, um, the traffic, Macon County, Central, all those those law enforcement folks, the EMS folks, everybody that it takes to put together, uh, they all give a lot of their their month of August to this event, and 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 we genuinely appreciate it because all these folks do a great job. They definitely do a great job. I know if folks uh, want to get tickets, they could do that. Farmprogressshow.com. Uh, campsites, golf carts, are we are we sold out on those things as well, Matt? We are we are not we're never sold out on campsites. So we have dry camping. 
we take the south part of our biggest parking lot and dedicate that to overnight parking. So if, if you've got a self-contained camper, we'll always have a place for you. Uh, golf carts are sold out with the exception of Thursday. You know, for some reason, Thursday is the lightest crowd day. Um, but, uh, there are golf carts available on Thursday, but, but sold out for Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, you can download the smartphone app. That's kind of like a little bit like having the, the show program in your pocket. That's already live. Those of us on staff use that pretty, pretty exclusively because the, the, the live online map translates straight to the app so that, you know, you, you always have the most current information. So, uh, lots of ways to stay in touch with us. Obviously all the social media channels. Uh, that's all those things are just starting to ramp up here as, as we as we begin August. I know I have the app downloaded on my phone and I don't know what I would do without that during the three days of the Farm Progress show. Coming up August 29th through the 31st in Decatur, Illinois. You can get tickets at lordmoreFarmProgressShow.com with that show manager, Matt Youngman. Matt, thanks for the time. We'll catch up with you uh, here in a couple of weeks and learn more about the uh, upcoming 2023 Farm Progress show. Thanks for the time today. Thank you very much. All right, coming up next, we'll talk with Megan Kaiser, the chair of the United Soybean Board here on AOA. At Great Plains, we engineer durable soil management, seeding, and planting equipment to help you get more out of every acre, harvest after harvest. United in purpose, driven by devotion, we work tirelessly to provide solutions so you can build a legacy that'll last. Visit your local dealer or go to GreatPlainsAg.com today to lock in your order and unlock your potential. Great Plains. Harvest starts here. Your grain cart. Your auger wagon. Your grain buggy. Whatever you call it. Whatever color. Whoever's driving it. It serves a vital role in your operation every harvest. This year, make your grain cart the center of automated record keeping with a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle from ScaleTech. Reliability when it matters most. Accessible records when you need them. Adaptable solutions to fit your operation. We've taken the time to make sure our rugged products adapt to fit your current scale systems. So you have one less thing to worry about when it's go time. Make a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle your partner in automated record keeping at Scaletech.com. Scaletech. Your scale. Your way. It's believed the very first official cattle drive took place in 1779. The Spanish joined the American Revolution, wanting to push out British rivals. Louisiana Spanish governor asked Texas for cattle to help feed their troops and 2,000 head of cattle were gathered and sent to Louisiana. This agricultural history is brought to you by the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need, AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. 
And welcome back here to AOA, Agriculture of America. Jesse Allen with you. And last week, we uh, were able to talk with her just a little bit. We had some technical difficulties, so I wanted to make sure I got her back on the show with us to talk a little bit more. Joining us now, she is the chair of the United Soybean Board. Missouri farmer Megan Kaiser is with us. Megan, great to have you uh, back on AOA. How are you today? Wonderful. And I always appreciate the opportunity to talk about the investments that the the board is making. Well, and I know last week you talked a little bit with Mike Adams as he was sitting in about some of the things that are going on. And I want to make sure we dive in and and talk a little bit more and uh, get us up to speed. I know the July board meeting happened here uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago in Niagara Falls. And you guys were able to set the budget for fiscal year 24. Can you just tell us a little bit about some of the uh, the key points that you guys had there during the meeting here just a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. So, you know, we passed a budget which invests $191.5 million over the next year. And so that'll kick off starting October 1st of 2023. And um, this is our largest budget ever. And, um, you know, I, I think with with great um, investment from farmers, you know, that's all of us kicking in one half of 1% of the market price per bushel. And um, so all of us are, are putting in, you know, pennies and dollars um, and, and then receiving um, in a return on our investment of $12.34 for every dollar that we invest. And so that's you know, putting in a lot of money, uh, re- resources together at 191 million. Um, and, and for that, what, where are we investing? I guess is the big question. I, I want to make sure that farmers know, um, that collectively, um, we're able to invest in things that, you know, individually we couldn't do. And so examples of that are, um, in the in- infrastructure and connectivity area, on the supply side, we're engaging in direct road, rail, and river markets um, so that more organizations can continue um, to gain momentum uh, for funding research in U.S. infrastructure improvements. Um, in demand, um, we're identifying and uh, addressing infrastructure and logistical constraints um, that are limiting market access. Um, and so we're also putting in a, a big emphasis on exploring innovative soy-based materials and recycling um, and new processing technologies for soybean oil and meal. Um, one of our big wins in infrastructure and connectivity in the past has been, um, you know, investing in the research that enabled the dredging of the lower Mississippi and how that you know, all of us farmers know how important basis is to our, our bottom line. Mm-hmm. And so that's the way that, um, you know, when we talk about research, that doesn't sound very tangible or exciting, but the, the planning, engineering and design um, that really has a big impact on our infrastructure and our basis um, to our bottom line, it, it, it's all really tied together. And so that's been a big focus for us um, in health and nutrition. You know, again, on the, the supply side, we're looking at um, plant and soil health and nutrition. And, um, you know, what are the tools that are really important to farmers to be able to have, you know, unbiased testing and, and be able to have those resources? So, you know, when we look at um, tough weather conditions and, and replanting and timing mm-hmm. uh, applications, all of those things are um, research investments that we've done in the past that farmers have access to um, through um, our soybean research information network. And so you can go online and and find out the answers to those things as we're trying to make timely decisions. And then, you know, of course, our, our export 
you know, we work with more than 80 countries uh, through the U.S. Soybean Export Council yeah. um, to differentiate U.S. soy in the global marketplace. And so our export promotion um, has been a major um, area that farmers invest in on, on the demand side. Well, and Megan, I, I know there's been a, a lot of attacks against checkoffs here recently and, and bills in, in Congress trying to look at, you know, transparency checkoffs or, or however you want to put it. There's some folks that are kind of attacking not just, you know, say the soy checkoff, but they're attacking beef and pork, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I think it's important, and you kind of mentioned this too, is letting farmers know, letting the public know, you know, where these checkoff dollars are going, how are they spent? And you hit on so many key things here just on, on the soy side that you guys are investing in. Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously the checkoff board, we don't do anything with any kind of lobbying or any work with Congress. We leave that to our, our friends at the American Soybean Association. So just want to make sure that, that that's clear up front. No, yeah. no checkoff dollars for lobbying. Um, and so I think what's important to me as a farmer and that I find so motivating as being a, a member of the board is that we are kind of at the whims of, of decision makers, of commodity markets. So often farmers are, are just kind of, we're price takers, you know, and, and they, weather happens to us. Price, commodity markets mm -hmm. happen to us. But here we are at the board and we are, are, are able to look at what are points that we can leverage that collectively we do better. And, you know, I, I couldn't have um, an, an investment in research and development at a farm level in the way that, you know, the entire board can, can leverage these funds. I couldn't find those key points in our transportation system that really have huge returns on investment for us just to break down those barriers of access. Um, and so it's, it's this idea of that we all know that when we do something collectively, we can have a bigger impact. Um, you know, as chair of the USB, um, I find it incredibly important that things are transparent. Um, we have a, a large board of directors, 77 mm -hmm. farm directors that are all volunteers, myself included, um, that are working to make sure that even though we have this in incredible investment power, that every single dollar is used appropriately. And so we, we do all sorts of audit and evaluation of every dollar. We're overseen by the United States Department of Agriculture. Um, and we take that very seriously. We know that when, when there's a lot of funds at, at um, our use, that every dollar matters. And so you'll find directors, even with this kind of investment power, to say, I think that's just too high. I don't think I can go home and tell my neighbor that we did that. Mm -hmm. um, but on the flip side, more importantly, and, and more often, farmers say, I'm proud to go home and, and tell my neighbor that we made these connections with other audiences or that we had this kind of impact um, on the planet through our work of, you know, bio-based products or uh, drop-in replacements like renewable diesel or sustainable aviation fuel. We farmers have a lot to be proud of. It's it's because of our investment over the last 30 years in, in the checkoff that we've been able to develop, you know, biodiesel and now renewable diesel and sustainable aviation fuel. We couldn't have done that had it not been for the forward thinking uh, boards before ours, you know, even now of, of, of checkoff funds using to do that kind of research to make sure that we're kind of set today to have the, you know, these stronger uses 
of soybeans, um, we really do kind of sit on the shoulders of, of giants. But it was because we were able to work collectively and make those investments um, that we were able to take some risks and say, I wonder, what if? Let's try, you know? Um, yeah. And 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 I think we're all better for it. So I'm, I'm a, obviously I'm a big believer. I spend a lot of time working um, and volunteering for the checkoff, but I think um, it really sets our entire agriculture future um, to be stronger. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think I saw a stat as well for every dollar that uh, farmers invest in the checkoff, uh, the United Soybean Board, it's a little over $12 back in returns. I think it's something like that. That's an impressive stat. It is, you know, so if you gave me $1 and I gave you $12.34 back, you know, it's a good deal. You keep doing that. That's a, that's a huge return on investment. It definitely and is. I, yeah. We're always trying to push it to be higher and stronger too. Well, Megan, uh, we appreciate a little time and insight before I let you go. Uh, I know, uh, things in Missouri, you guys have been dealing with uh, plenty of drought here so far this growing season. I, I got to ask how, how are the crops looking uh, around your area? It's been pretty touch and go, um, but I will say it, it is a story of the resilience of the um, U.S. soy production and the fact that it's, we're a big country. And so uh, there's been rainfall in lots of places. Our farm has, has been on the short side this year, um, but we're still we're still hanging in there. So <laughs> we'll see at harvest how, how really bad it is. But so far, we're, we're still in the game. Well, that is uh, at least uh, good to hear, and hopefully uh, things stay in the game there as we go through the rest of the growing season. Folks can learn more, too, online, unitedsoybean.org. With that, the chair of the United Soybean Board, Megan Kaiser. Thanks for joining us here on AOA today, Megan, and we'll look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you. And once again, great to have her back on the program. Megan Kaiser, the chair of the United Soybean Board, joining us here today. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we are going to talk with North Dakota Republican Senator Kevin Kramer. We saw the uh, National Defense Authorization Act passed in Congress here last week, and it included some amendments surrounding uh, foreign investment in U.S. farmland. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get an update on the farm bill. We're going to get this thing done in time by September 30th or not. We'll ask those questions with Senator Kevin Kramer from North Dakota. Coming up next, back with more AOA right after this. Did you know Henry Ford's Model T was designed to run on either gasoline or corn ethanol? After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop. Over half of all the corn grown in the United States is grown in four states, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska. A typical year has about 800 kernels in 16 rows. Corn will always have an even number of rows on each cob. One variety of corn grown in Peru has kernels so large that they are eaten individually. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Joining us now here on the program, pleased to have with us North Dakota Senator Kevin Kramer is on the show with us here today. And Senator Kramer, it's great to talk with you again. I hope you're doing well. Well, it's always great to visit with you, Jesse, and, and I'm doing fine. Thank you. I'm, I'm doing especially well since we wrapped up um, our uh, our work last week with the Defense Authorization Act, and that means uh, five weeks outside of Washington, D.C. A lot of us go home, <laughs> and I'm in Bismarck, 
uh, today and, and glad to be home. Well, happy to have you uh, on the show with us here while you're home uh, there in Bismarck and uh, making time to join us. And you mentioned the uh, the passing of the NDAA, the uh, Defense Authorization Act, out of the Senate. And I know that included a couple of amendments looking at foreign investment uh, in farmland and limiting that. I know uh, a lot of this conversation tied to the issue of the Fufeng corn milling plant that was stopped near Grand Forks that I know you uh, we've talked about that before. Uh, get us up to mm-hmm. speed on the passing of NDAA and so those, those amendments that were in there as well. Sure. So the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, is something that we pass every year. It's passed now, passed out of the Senate 63 years in a row, and so far it's always gotten through the entire Congress and passed by the president. That's what authorizes, obviously, for another year, all of our military priorities and and funds our military. The two amendments that that you're talking about deal, well, one deals specifically with agricultural investments by foreign persons and businesses particularly from countries, well, specifically from countries that are deemed as adversaries, which of course includes China. And what it does is it would it help prevent national security risks like the, like the Fufang investment you talked about in Grand Forks from ever happening. Um, there's another bill, and, and I'm happy to get into the, more of the details, but there's another bill that Senator Cornyn introduced that I was a co-sponsor of that establishes a process that would be led by Treasury in coordination with the Department of Commerce that would require U.S. firms to notify the Department of Treasury when participating in certain covered activities in countries of concern. And what that means is that that deals with outbound investments. And while outbound investment, that is to say a U.S. investment in foreign countries isn't nearly as concerning to me as inbound investments by adversaries, nonetheless, there's, there, there needs to be some things that need watching there as well. But the First Amendment that I talked about relating to, to China's influence by purchase of farmland and agricultural assets, not just farmland, agricultural businesses as well, mm-hmm. um, was introduced by Senator Rounds. And uh, that is more directed at the Fufang example. And to the point where Senator Rounds in introducing the amendment on the floor, because this was a floor amendment, by the way, important distinction over the several hundred amendments that we passed in the committee. I happen to serve on the Armed Services Committee as well. Um, this, this was an amendment that was brought to the floor and was passed. That, that one was introduced by Senator Rounds. Mm-hmm. Well, a, a lot of uh, a lot of things there, obviously, not only looking at that investment in farmland here and putting you know stop to that with adversaries but as you mentioned the outbound investment and it feels just like a, a looking for a more transparency so to speak on, on that side of it very important point because again telling americans how they can or cannot spend their own money you know is a little bit difficult for free market capitalist system obviously we have to there has to be some nexus or some some protection and all we're really doing here is to your point establishing some form of transparency where at least the firms would notify Treasury when they participate in these uh, investments of covered activities. Mm-hmm. Remembering that oftentimes when you're when you're investing in a uh, company in, in China, China's obviously the, the best example because they have this humongous economy, they steal very effectively, but it really comes down to that stealing piece. When you're investing in, say your company is, is investing in China, they oftentimes will require a transfer of technology as part of that investment. Or if you're going to put a you're going to put a, a factory in China or your you know your whole operation in China, you generally are going to give up your patents. You're going to give up your intellectual property. You're going to give up your 
your technological um, secrets, if you will, because it's it's either going to be stolen or it's going to be extorted by virtue of, of a requirement to transfer that technology. So we, we mm-hmm. still need to guard against that type of activity. With, with regard to the, the ag land or the ag investments, the Fufang Project in Grand Forks is a pretty good example. It's starting with the fact that it involved the actual sale of about 317, 320 acres right in the Red River Valley near Grand Forks, North Dakota. That's farmland that produces food for the most part. Mm-hmm. The other activity there is it was going to be a value added, so it was a, a corn milling facility. Well, both of those things, whether it's the, the actual growing of the commodity or the adding the value to the commodity, both of those things involve what I consider to be the most critical of supply chains, and that is our food supply chain, our safe food supply chain. And um, while we love having a good supply chain and we like having investment in North Dakota and in the United States, if the control of that supply chain goes into the hands of a, of a nefarious uh, you know, activity in, a, in, a, in an adversarial country that has one and a half billion people who eat several times a day, um, that puts our own food security at risk, and I think we have to be careful of that. The obvious other challenge with Grand Force was the proximity to a very important uh, you know, military base that's mm-hmm. got both uh, space assets and other uh, intelligence surveillance reconnaissance assets. Senator Kramer, I want to talk about as well, I know you and your colleagues uh, in the Dakotas, Minnesota, introducing the Conservation Reserve Program Flexibility Act, looking at emergency haying of eligible CRP acres. We've had a lot of drought, weather-related disaster offense, uh, events. Can you talk about that legislation for us? First of all, the need for it, I think, has become pretty obvious to your point, and particularly up here in the in the Great Plains, um, where, you know, where we have a lot of... of um, both cattle as well as protected lands. And and just to give a sense of the backdrop, in, in 2021, North Dakota had experienced a, a significant drought, obviously, and it, it reduced the availability of forage. So generally when we're talking about when we're talking about CRP or we're talking about haying, we're talking about feeding feeding livestock. So producers in 2021 lost 50 to 60% of the grass production on the native pastures and 75% that's, that was uh, planted on on you know, actual production on planted uh, pasture land. So you know, obviously, when you have a drought and that that's not available, we have to find food for those cows and for those critters, or uh, obviously they're not gonna they're not gonna produce meat. Um, so we're just trying to provide a little more flexibility on CRP acres. As you know, we we often turn in a drought to the USDA. We ask for waivers on on um, you know when when the land can be grazed, maybe make it earlier in the year and it interferes with, you know, as you know, nesting seasons, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, or we wait too long and suddenly there's not much there. There's not much nutrition in it. We just want to provide some flexibility that allows USDA to approve a more expedited emergency haying of the CRP acres in the case of a drought. And, and it would create this flexibility by allowing the emergency haying when drought conditions are met 40% is is of the forages lost in the county, for example, or the secretary consults with the, the FSA uh, technical committee and determines that uh, okay, this is this is severe enough. We're gonna we're gonna speed it up a little bit, and, uh, and then it just would determine that the, pr- the program can assist the producers with permanent damage to establish the cover. Uh, that's another thing. It's, it's sort of interesting. Sometimes we put so many rules around our conservation programs 
that we actually aren't even doing a good job of conservation, much less feeding hungry people. Um, now, I, I know, Jesse, this, this is often a, a, a challenging issue for a lot of us who love our free market capitalist system, mm-hmm. um, recognizing that there are people who grow hay for a living and, and they harvest it, they sell it. And in a severe drought, you know, you might have a much higher price, no doubt when there's a, a lower supply. The problem is we always have to, we always have to balance that off with um, the fact that if we don't provide some of these emergency services for ranchers, we've, we've heard all, you know, the entire supply chain up and down. And uh, again, we've heard our own food security. North Dakota Senator Kevin Kramer joining us here today. Senator Kramer, uh, real quick, Farm Bill, we keep hearing about the work that is going on in Congress, and uh, one has to wonder if we'll get a new Farm Bill written by the deadline at the end of September or if we're going to be looking at a one-year extension. What What's the latest that you are hearing uh, when it comes to the Farm Bill? So, Jesse, you teed it up so beautifully because the, that's always the question. Are we going to get it done by the deadline September 30th? Or are we going to have a one-year extension? To which I will tell you, I don't think either one of those things is going to happen, um, which I think is the best of, of, of that we're going to be able to do. And that is this. And, and just so you all know, I just want to be, I want to confess my, um, you know, my, my ever-changing goalposts here because there was a time when I was pretty certain we were going to do a one-year extension. Then there was a time when I thought, hot dog, we're, we're getting some momentum here. The, the parties are all talking. Um, you know, G.T. Thompson, the chairman over in the House, and, and Debbie Stabenow, the chairman in the Senate, and, and John Bozeman, the ranking Republican in the Senate Committee, John Hoven, and all the others. They're, they're all talking. I, I, meet, I talk to all of them a lot. It's looking good. Maybe we're going to get this thing done. Well, here's what I think is going to happen. I think we're running out of time. Negotiations are going well. There's a commitment to getting the thing done this year, and we're getting closer. My sense, Jesse, is that we won't be able to meet the September 30th deadline uh, to have a bill passed both in the House and the Senate and then reconciled in a conference committee. But I don't think we're going to need a year. So I think there'll be an extension for a couple of months, which keeps the pressure on the uh, negotiators and at the same time allows us to get something done before the end of this year. So I don't think we'll be done by this end of this fiscal year i do believe will be done by the end of this calendar year and i think what you're going to see is now an increase in noise and activity as um as as the the authorizers from the ag committee and others from farm country will be they're at home in august now for the most part to talking to their farmers ranchers producers you know association stakeholders and of course the very important um stakeholder in all of this are the people who eat and um so i i do think that there's I think we're going to get it done, just not by September 30th, but but preferably by Christmas. Well, we appreciate the insight on that. Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, we're up against the clock, but thank you for joining us. We'll have to get you back on the program again real soon, and uh, enjoy your time uh, at home there in North Dakota. I appreciate the opportunity as always, Jesse. Thanks for your interest and and, uh, for helping spread the word. And again, that is North Dakota Republican Senator Kevin Kramer joining us here today. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk precision agriculture with Brad Arnold from Precision Planting and Agco. That's next here on AOA. Your grain cart. Your auger wagon. Your grain buggy. Whatever you call it. Whatever color. Whoever's driving it. It serves a vital role in your operation every harvest. This year, make your grain cart the center of automated record keeping. 
with a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle from ScaleTech. Reliability when it matters most. Accessible records when you need them. Adaptable solutions to fit your operation. We've taken the time to make sure our rugged products adapt to fit your current scale systems. So you have one less thing to worry about when it's go time. Make a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle your partner in automated record keeping at scaletech.com. Scaletech. Your scale. Your way. At Great Plains, we engineer durable soil management, seeding, and planting equipment to help you get more out of every acre, harvest after harvest. United in purpose, driven by devotion, we work tirelessly to provide solutions so you can build a legacy that'll last. Visit your local dealer or go to greatplainsag.com today to lock in your order and unlock your potential. Great Plains. Harvest starts here. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger, larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Looking back into the history of agriculture, the first major pork packing plant was started in Cincinnati, Ohio by Alicia Mills in the year 1818. Nicknamed the Porkopolis, 85,000 head of pigs were processed at this plant each year. This ag history is brought to you by the American Ag Network. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, today we're going to catch up and talk a little bit about how precision agriculture is evolving and supporting our farmers across the country. And here to help us have that discussion, we welcome in Brad Arnold, Senior Vice President, General Manager of Agco's Precision Planting. And Brad, it is great to have you back with us. I hope you're doing well. Doing great, Jesse. Good to be with you. Thanks for the time. Let's jump in here. And, you know, obviously, Brad, there is just a growing demand for new technologies in agriculture. Can you explain just uh, the kind of the overall boom that we've been seeing in ag tech here over the last few years from your perspective? Yeah, you know, your question is the reason I'm in this business. Um, you know, farmers, in my opinion, are the, the highest risk entrepreneurs that I know. You know, and you go back to the original farming, there's just way too many variables that are outside of a farmer's control. Certainly a lot of them, you know, due to nature, uh, but many of them still are, are the fact that machines don't perform consistently. Um, and certainly as well, um, the environment that farmers are performing the task in, whether it's planting, spraying, harvesting, is constantly changing as well. And so 
those variables need to be measured. And the more accurately we can measure those things, the more we can control for them. So there's no limit, honestly, an opportunity for folks that are in precision ag trying to solve problems for farmers today. Well, I know with uh, Agco's precision planting side, uh, there's a lot of focus from you guys on, on cedar and, and sprayer solutions, uh, along with certain combine solutions as well. Can you talk about some of the highlights that, that you guys are working on right now or that you already have available for farmers? You bet. I'll hit, hit just a few. I think, I think most folks are familiar, obviously, with the name. Uh, we've yeah. been in planting for years. But we're, we're focused um, and have been focused for the last number of years uh, about bringing value uh, and bringing precision solutions all the way around the crop cycle. So we're now able to provide much better visibility and control and machine performance, not just on planters, but on seeders, combines, now even on sprayers, strip till machines, and even granular applicators. So um, one example of that is our symphony nozzle uh, and that's, that's a new smart nozzle that we're bringing out later this year. Uh, this is really going to bring sprayers, uh, you know, 30 years forward and in, into the future by being able to control rate and droplet size, regardless of whether I'm coming around curves or adjusting my, my sprayer speed uh, throughout the field. Um, we'll, we'll always have a consistent rate, consistent droplet size, which with many of the active ingredients that we have uh, in play today, farmers really, really need that. And so... Um, we're excited about that product. Um, something we just launched last week, actually, uh, at a farm show in Canada is called Clarity. Um, and this is going to be a new solution, not just on cedars, but also on uh, strip-till rigs, as well as uh, dry fertilizer applicators. That's going to bring row-by-row product magnitude, not just blockage, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's flowing or not flowing, but product magnitude that reflects um, populations or rates applied um, for the various products that are, that are put through those machines, all seen through uh, the 2020 display, uh, not only product magnitude, but also row by row variance. Um, so it's going to allow a farmer to, to manage their cedar, their strip till rig, their dry fertilizer applicator in a much more precise way, uh, even, even in those smaller grain uh, areas. So super excited about these. These both also extend the value of, of uh, our Gen 3 display uh, mm -hmm. by not just having it in the planter tractor, but, but really all the way through the crop cycle. And the way we approach all these solutions, Jesse, as you know, is through a retrofit approach. <clears throat> so we're able to extend the value, not just to that Gen 3 display, but also the machines that the farmers already own, because you don't have to buy a new platform, a new machine uh, in order to access the technology because it's a retrofit uh, application of the tech. So. Well, and that's a, a great point you bring up, and I was going to ask you about that as well, is I, I would imagine a lot of our farmers who are listening in right now probably already have some of their equipment retrofitted with some of the new technology that Precision Planting has come out with here in the last few years, or if they don't, they're probably looking at doing so, and I just have to think that that's got to be uh, your continued mission with Precision Planting is helping farmers kind of make their jobs a little bit easier, right, Brad? One hundred percent. That's you know we 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 both offer our solutions as a retrofit, so you can try the technology to see if it solves that one problem, right? And that's how farmers mostly come into our family. They've got one problem they know they have. We've convinced them of it, so they'll buy a piece of technology from us that helps solve that problem. They get confidence that the ROI is there. Farmers hear every day, "Hey, this is going to have a payback." Well, they want you to prove it to them. So once we do, they have confidence that our value is there. Uh, it's easier for them to just extend the technology 
uh, by solving more problems on their planter from precision planting and that same retrofit approach. And so by being able to do that again on any color of machine, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in any year or vintage of machine, um, really is we're the only ones in the industry that are that are providing farmers in, in a consistent way, um, you know, across the crop cycle. So we feel like it's a great position to be in. Brad, any final thoughts? Anything else you'd want to share? I mean, what's your thoughts? What What's the future look like here for precision planting? What's the precision ag kind of looking like? I mean, a- any final thoughts, anything else you'd want to share with us today? You know, I may just hit on uh, precision planting is certainly the, a, a big piece of, of my responsibility, but JCA and Headsite are also uh, parts of my responsibility. Headsite's got great harvesting solutions, including header height control, row guidance for, for combines, uh, particularly in corn. But one interesting one, we just had a, a, a media day, investor day as well, two weeks ago in Kentucky, where we demonstrated our first proof of concept from JCA that's an autonomous grain car concept. Um, JCA, we acquired about a year ago, and so they're working on helping us bring autom- autonomous solutions all the way around the crop cycle so that we can address the labor shortage issue that uh, that farmers are having as well. So there's never a, a, a slowdown in our business, Jesse. We've got all kinds of stuff going on. We're super, uh, super excited about it and excited to be a part of helping farmers get better every day. Well, I'm sure, Brad, if farmers want to stay up to date with all the new exciting things that you guys are rolling out, websites, socials, a local dealer, I'm sure a lot of different great ways to stay in touch, isn't there, Brad? Yeah, you bet. The best place is our website. That's the one point you can access all the things you just mentioned, uh, precisionplanning.com. You hit our dealer locator, find a dealer near you. All of our social channels are at the bottom of the website there. So, uh, and, and, if you want, give them my cell phone number. We'll get it set up, Jason. <laughs> no problem, man. Well, hey, we appreciate the time and the insight, and we look forward to uh, staying close with you and uh, continuing to have the conversation surrounding precision agriculture. With that, Brad Arnold, Senior Vice President, General Manager of Agco's Precision Planting. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jesse. Take care. And that is all the time we have for AOA here today. Thank you for joining us as we talk about issues impacting rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Did you know Henry Ford's Model T was designed to run on either gasoline or corn ethanol? After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop. Over half of all the corn grown in the United States is grown in four states, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska. A typical year has about 800 kernels in 16 rows. Corn will always have an even number of rows on each cob. One variety of corn grown in Peru has kernels so large that they are eaten individually. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. In the early 1500s, the U.S.'s first cattle are said to have arrived in Florida. Brought here by Spanish explorer and conquistador Juan Ponce de Leon. Today, the U.S.'s cattle herd size is at its lowest level since 1952, with U.S. beef producers being recognized as the global leaders in sustainability when it comes to beef production. These egg facts are brought to you by the American Egg Network. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria. 
Austria from Turkish invaders. The baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.